Hello, and welcome to another episode of Nostalgic Mystery Radio. I'm your host, Stevie Kay, and it's my honor to bring you the radio shows of yesteryear. For this episode, I bring you Lord Peter Whimsey, episode titled Clouds of Witness, where Lord Peter's eldest brother stands accused of murder. In collaboration with Inspector Parker, Whimsy slowly uncovers a web of lies and deceit within his own family. This will be an eight-part series. So sit back and relax, and I hope you enjoy this Nostalgic Mystery Radio. Thank you for listening. Lord Peter Whimsy. Starring Ian Carmichael as Lord Peter and Peter Jones as Bunter, with Patricia Routledge as the Dowager Duchess of Denver. Clouds of Witness by Dorothy L. Sayers. Adapted in eight episodes by Peter Jones and Tanya Leaven. Episode 5, The Morning After. Lord Peter Whimsey is investigating the death of Captain Dennis Cathcart, for which his brother, the Duke of Denver, stands accused of murder. But now his sister, Lady Mary, has confessed to the killing, and Lord Peter, pursuing a man called Goyles, with whom he believes Mary had an assignation on the night of Cathcart's death, has been shot and wounded. The next day, the Dowager Duchess of Denver arrives at Peter's London flat. Mary, I'm annoyed. But mother, I've said I'm sorry. Not good enough, my girl. It wasn't so much that you went off suddenly last night, just before dinner, too, alarming us so much. Indeed, poor Helen was totally distressed, and you know she always makes such a point of never being upset about anything. I don't really know why, for some of the greatest men have in their time... Mr Parker, Ah, Your Grace. Mr Parker, come in. You're to have a mixed grill. Peter will be joining us in a moment or two. Uh, I was was just saying, Mr Parker, that some of the greatest men haven't minded showing their feelings. Uh, I mean, I don't mean Southerners necessarily, but as Mr Chesterton very rightly points out, uh, Nelson too, who was certainly English, if he wasn't Irish or Scottish, I forget. Uh, Oh dear, but United Kingdom anyway, if that means anything at all nowadays. What what was I saying? Um, Um, Oh yes, Uh, Mary... I was talking about you going off without proper clothes and taking the car so that I had to wait till the one fifteen. Such a bad train, too, not getting up till 10.30. If you'd only looked up the trains before starting, you could quite easily have packed a bag. It's so much better to do things neatly and thoroughly, even stupid things. And it was stupid of you, indeed, to dash off like that and to embarrass poor Mr Parker with a lot of twaddle. Though I suppose it was Peter you meant to see. You probably knew all about it anyway. No, Lord Peter and I haven't had time to discuss anything yet. I dashed off to Scotland Yard before breakfast. Then you must be hungry. Where has Bunter got with that food? Give him a chance, Mother. Bunter isn't a conjurer. I don't know about that. I've seen him produce meals which would be the envy of masculine and devant. Ah! Ah, Peter. Peter, are you sure you're well enough to be up? Uh, Feeling as good as new, thanks, Mother. Mary? I thought you were shot in the arm. 
Why is your temple bruised? Well, apart from being shot, I fell against the unwelcoming knobs of a brass bedstead which had been placed in the alley by a thoughtless second-hand furniture dealer. However, what's a brass bedstead? Yes, Bunter? A telegram, my lord. Ah, oh, thank you. It's my opinion, Mr Parker, that if Peter will haunt low places full of Russians and suckling socialists taking themselves seriously, then he deserves all he gets. <laughs> One mustn't encourage these troublemakers by running after them. Charles, uh, read this, would you? Now, Mary, how did you get on with old Parker Bird last night? Did you tell him that you'd done the murder? Oh, really, it's perfectly hopeless trying to do anything. <laughs> Peter, you madden me sometimes. Let's postpone a full-scale argument until after we've eaten. There's no argument, Mother. I did it. I admit it. So Peter's case is finished. You must allow your brother to be the best judge of his own affairs, Mary. I rather fancy Mary's right. Anyway, we've got Goyle, so now we shall know. He wasn't there. He's innocent. I killed Dennis. Oh, Polly, look, don't be an ass. Yes, I, I was going to suggest that this Mr Goyle's... Such a terrible name, Mary, dear. Especially as he would sign himself Geo-Goyles. G-E-O. You know, Mr Parker, for George. And I never could help reading it as Gargoyles. You, know. you always did find him a bit sickening, didn't you, Mother? Oh. How can you, Whimsy? <laughs> oh, never mind him, Mr Parker. He can't be a gentleman. Oh, damn it all. Look, here is a fellow who, without the slightest provocation, plugs a bullet into my shoulder, breaks my collarbone, brings me up head foremost on a knobbly second-hand brass bedstead, and when, in what seems to me jolly, mild, parliamentary language, I call him a sickening fella, my own sister says I'm no gentleman. Uh, don't get excited, Peter, well, really, dear. I... Ah, bravo! Mixed grill. Mmm. Oh, excellent, Bunter. Uh, the mushrooms couldn't have been gathered this morning, surely. Possibly not, Your Grace, but I have it on good authority that they were sent up from Worcestershire late last night. Then they may very well suffice. That'll be all. <laughs> Thank you, Bunter. And uh, bring some coffee, would you please? Peter, what made you say George did it? Did what? Shot you. I accidentally ran into him last night at your Soviet club. I asked to be introduced to him, but the minute he heard my name, he bolted. I rushed out after him, only meaning to have a word with him, when the idiot stopped at the corner of Newport Court, potted at me and bunked. Not a silly-ass thing to do. He couldn't help getting caught. Peter, George is just... Now, look here, Mary, oh dear. Look, I did think of you. Honest engine, I did. I haven't had the man arrested. I've made no charge at all, have I, Charles? What did you tell him to do at the yard this morning? To detain... Goyles, pending inquiries, because he was wanted as a witness in the Riddlesdale case. He knows nothing about that. He wasn't there. Then why tell all those lies to screen him? It won't do, Mary O'Thing. You're perjuring yourself and putting Gerald in peril of his life in order to shield from justice a man whom you suspect of murdering your lover and who has most certainly tried to murder me. Peter. What's the matter, Charles? You look unhappy. Oh, is it the mushrooms? All this interrogation is terribly irregular and... Eh, uh, well, never mind. Do you really think you're doing the right thing, Mary O'Gill? Peter, I... Yes? I'll tell the truth. Good egg. I'm sorry. I know you like the fellow, and we appreciate your decision enormously. Truly, we do. Now sail ahead, O'Thing. Take it all down, Charles, would you? Well, it all started years ago with George. You were at the front then, Peter, but I suppose they told you about it and put everything in the worst possible light. Now, I wouldn't say that, 
dear. I think I told Peter that your brother and I were not altogether pleased with what we'd seen of the young man. But all I remember saying to Peter was that Mr. Goyles's manners seemed to me to lack polish and that he showed a lack of independence in his opinions. A lack of independence? Well, dear, I thought so. What oft was thought and frequently much better expressed, as Pope says, or, or was it somebody else? I, who's for the last kidney? Oh, Mother, please. Mr Parker, you've hardly had a thing. No more, really. I've eaten enormously. Then I shall be greedy. Mary, you really cared about him, didn't you? I still do. I always shall, in spite of what anyone says. And Gerald was a beast. He said he'd stop my allowance if I didn't send George away. So I did, but, of course, it didn't make a bit of difference to the way we both felt. George went to Germany to study socialism, but nothing seemed any good. So when Dennis Cathcart turned up, I said I'd marry him. Why? He never sounded to me the kind of bloke for you. I mean, as far as I could make out, he was Tory and diplomatic. I shouldn't have thought you had an idea in common. Well, no, but then he didn't care tuppence whether I had any ideas or not. I made him promise he wouldn't bother me with diplomats and functions and... He said, no, I could do as I liked, provided I didn't compromise him. And we were to live in Paris and go our own ways. Was Jerry all right about your money? Oh, yes. He said Dennis was no great catch, but after George, you could only thank his lucky stars it wasn't worse. Make a note of that, Charles, would you? Yes. Well, it seemed all right at first, but there was something a little alarming about Dennis. He was so very correct. Even when he went off the deep end and was passionate, which didn't often happen, he was correct about it extraordinary. It was like one of those odd French novels, you know, Peter. Frightfully hot stuff, but absolutely impersonal. Charles, oh man. Yes? That is important. You realise the bearing on it, don't you? No. No. Oh, well, never mind. <clears throat> Drive on, Mary, would you? Aren't I making your headache? Damnably, but I like it. Go on. Well, I'd been corresponding with George, and suddenly he wrote to me at the beginning of this month to say he'd got a job on the Thunderclap for four pounds a week. Thunderclap? The Socialist Weekly. Yeah, of course, yeah. Silly and wouldn't me. I chuck these capitalists and come and be an honest working woman with him? He could get me a secretarial job on the paper. I was to type and to help him get his articles together. He thought between us we should make six to seven pounds a week, which would be heaps to live on. And I was getting more frightened of Dennis every day. So I said I would. But I knew there'd be an awful row with Gerald. The engagement had been announced and Dennis might have made things horribly uncomfortable for him. He was rather that sort. So we decided the best thing to do would be just to run away and get married. So it was arranged that the romantic Goyle should fetch you away from Riddlesdale. Now, why Riddlesdale? And why the unearthly hour of 3am? George had a meeting on Wednesday night at Northallerton. He was going to come straight on and pick me up and run me down to town to be married by special licence. He had to be at the office next day. I see. Well, I'll go on now, and you stop me if I'm wrong. You went upstairs at 9.30 on Wednesday night. You packed a suitcase, then you went to bed, I fancy, or at any rate you turned the clothes back and lay down. Yes, I, I lay down. Did you, as a matter of fact, hear Gerald go out at 11.30, as Pettigrew Robinson said? Well, I fancy I did hear somebody moving about, but I, I didn't think much about it. Yeah, quite right. When I hear people moving about the house at night, I'm much too delicate-minded to think anything at all. May I clear, my lord? Uh, yes, Bunter, and bring some more coffee, would you? Certainly, my lord. But first, your medicine. Yeah, oh, must I? Be brave, my lord. Very well. <clears throat> <clears throat> oh, frightful stuff. Well, to proceed. 
At three o'clock, you went down to meet Goyles. Now, why did he come all the way up to the house? Oh, I, I couldn't carry the heavy suitcase. And we wouldn't miss each other by the conservatory door. Was Goyles there when you got downstairs? No, I didn't see him, but there was poor Dennis's body and, and Gerald bending over it. My first idea was that Gerald had killed George. Oh, that's why I said, oh, God, you've killed him. And then Gerald turned him over and I, I saw it was Dennis. And then I'm sure I heard something moving a long way off in the shrubbery and, and it suddenly came over me, where was George? Oh, Peter, I, I saw everything then so clearly. I saw that Dennis must have come on George waiting there and attacked him. I'm, I'm sure Dennis must have attacked George. Probably thought he was a burglar. And in the struggle, George must have shot Dennis. Poor kid. I didn't know what to do. My one idea was that nobody must suspect George. I, I shoved my suitcase behind the cactus plants and Jerry was taken up with the body and he didn't notice. Well, you know Jerry never does notice things until you've shoved them under his nose. But I knew if there'd been a shot, Freddie and the Pettigrew Robinsons must have heard it. So I pretended I'd heard it too and I, and I rushed down to look for burglars. Gerald sent me up to alarm the house and, and I had the story all ready by the time I reached the landing. I was quite proud of myself for not forgetting the suitcase. You dumped it in the chest? Yes. You knocked up Freddie and the Pettigrew Robinsons. Then you had to bolt into your room to take your clothes off. Yes, I, I couldn't expect anybody to believe that I went burglar hunting in a complete set of silk undies and a carefully knotted tie with a gold safety pin. Mm, no, I see your difficulty. But eh? I made a dreadful mistake about that shot. The, the time wasn't right. And then at the inquest, I, I had to stick to my story and it got to look worse and worse. And then they put the blame on Gerald. In my wildest moments, I'd never thought of that. Now, of course, I see how my wretched evidence helped. Hence the Ipecacuana. I've gotten to such a frightful tangle. I, I thought I'd better shut up altogether for fear of making things worse. And did you still think that Goyles had done it? I don't know. Who else could have done it? Well, honestly, old thing, if he didn't do it, I don't know who did. He ran away, you see. He seems rather good at shooting and running away. Look, if he hadn't done that to Peter, I'd never have told him. I'd have died first. The thing I don't understand is how Gerald's revolver got into the shrubbery. The thing I should like to know about is, was Dennis really a card sharper? Yes, well, the thing I should like to know about is the green-eyed cat. Well, Dennis never gave me a cat. Were you ever in a jeweller's with him in the Rue de la Paix? Oh, yes, heaps of times. Well, he did give me a diamond and tortoiseshell comb, but never a cat. Did Goyles know Cathcart at all? Not to my knowledge. Well, I think the best thing we can do is to go and see Goyles. Whatever the key to Wednesday night's riddle is, he holds it. I'm coming with you. Would you excuse us, Mother? Yes, of course. But make sure Mr Goyles is handcuffed, won't you? Mr Parker, I rely on you. There. Now, uh, although we are on police premises, Mr Goyles, as you can see, no representative of the force is present. What about you? I am a solicitor. My name is Mervils. Your solicitor, Whimsy? My brother's. Oh, his grace's solicitor. That's right, and this is a purely friendly and private interview. It's a threat. If I don't tell you, you'll have me arrested on suspicion of murder. Dear me, no, Mr. Goyles. We should merely place what information we possess in the hands of the police, who would then act as they thought fit. Why, anything in the nature of a threat would be highly irregular. Call it what you like, it's still a threat. But I don't mind speaking, especially as you'll be disappointed when I tell you what I know. 
But what I do mind is that you, Mary, gave me away. But George, I tried to... My sister has been extraordinarily loyal to you, Mr. Goyles. I may tell you that she's put herself in a position of grave personal danger on your behalf. I don't know how you could think, George. Never mind how. I gather that you've told them everything. Well, I'll tell my story as shortly as I can, and you'll realise then that I know damn all about it. I parked my bus in the lane at about quarter to three. Where were you at 11.50? On the road from North Allerton. My meeting didn't finish until 10.45. I can bring a hundred witnesses to prove it. Go on. I climbed over the wall and walked through the shrubbery. I came to the conservatory door and stumbled over something. I thought at first it might be Mary, ill or fainted. I half covered my torch and looked. I saw it was Cathcart, dead. You are sure he was dead? Stone dead. And what next? I heard someone coming up the path. I didn't fancy being seen standing near a corpse, so I cleared out. You left the girl that you were going to marry to make for herself the unpleasant discovery that there was a dead man in the garden and that her gallant wooer had made tracks. What did you expect her to do? I thought she'd keep quiet for her own sake. And I didn't want to be found in what were definitely suspicious circumstances. And so ran away in a foolish and cowardly manner. You needn't put it that way. I was in a very awkward situation. And if you hit me on the head last night instead of grazing my arm, you'd have been in another very awkward situation. If you're so frightened of being with a dead body, why go about shooting people? Why carry firearms? Here is poor little Mary, half killing herself because she was sure you wouldn't have run away unless you really had something to run away from. It's sneers of men like you that does more to breed hatred between class and class than it... I'm going to call Mr Parker. Uh, No, no, no. Never mind that now. Uh, You've managed to put yourself in a very awkward position, young man. Ah, Mr Parker. Will you kindly have Mr Goyles kept under observation? We make no charge against him. But he must not attempt to abscond before the Riddlesdale case comes up for trial. You won't, Mr Murbles. One moment, Mr Goyles. Here is the ring you gave me. Goodbye. When next you make a public speech calling for decisive action, I'll come and applaud it. But otherwise, I think we'd better not meet again. Of course. Your people have forced me into this position, and you turn around and sneer at me too. I didn't mind thinking you were a murderer, but I do mind your being such an ass. You're speaking from a privileged position, and I won't... Take your hands off me, I... Splendid fellow, Parker. Yes. Mr. Goyles is in good hands. Now, uh, I'd like you and Lady Mary to come to lunch with me at my chambers. Excellent idea. Sir Impey Biggs will be there. I'm afraid we may have to wait a few minutes for Sir Impey. He has an important libel action. He is uh, defending an elderly actress... His manner goes a long way with elderly ladies. Uh, When he suggested that she should raise her skirts and show the court her legs, the sensation on the bench was truly phenomenal. And did she show them? Pantin for the opportunity, my dear Lord Peter. Pantin for the opportunity. (laughs) I'm extremely sorry, Murbles. I did my best to hurry things along, but poor old Dowson is getting as deaf as a post. And how are you, Whimsy? You look as though you've been on the walls. Can we bring an action for assault against anybody? Oh, much better than that. Attempted murder, if you please. Excellent. But first things first, you haven't introduced me to your sister. No, she wasn't well when you came to stay at Riddlesdale. I trust you're fully recovered. Entirely, thank you. 
I've heard so much about you, Sir Impey. If what you've heard was good, then I shall try to live up to it. But if it was bad, then I shall attempt to live it down. Well, we hope very much that you're interested in our case. I am, dear lady, immensely. But nothing but that excellent saddle of mutton has the smallest attraction for me just now. Forgive my greed. Hmm. Then uh, let us make a start. Uh, I'm afraid I'm too old-fashioned to have adopted the modern practice of cocktail drinking. Quite right. Ruins the palate and the digestion, too. Moreover, it is un-English. Came from America. God bless me. You're giving us the famous claret. Ah, it's a sin to mention a cocktail in his presence. It's the Lafitte 75. 75. This is a great compliment, Mr. Merbles. Uh, thank you. It's very seldom I bring it out for anyone under 50 years of age, but you, Lord Peter, have a discrimination which would do honour to one twice your years. Thank you. All right, Simpson, we'll uh, wait on ourselves. Uh, circulate the bottle, Sir Impey. May I, Lady Mary? Thank you. After lunch, I will ask you to try something really curious. An old client of mine died the other day and left me a dozen of 47 ports. 47? Well, it'll hardly be drinkable, will it, sir? I fear not. <laughs> a tragedy. However, I feel that some sort of homage should be paid to so notable an antiquity. Well, it would be something to be able to say when it tasted it. That's what I thought. But first, the Lafitte. Mmm. 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 Yes, an excellent lunch, Merbles. That saddle of lamb. Oh, 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 delicious. You bachelors certainly know how to live. Thank you, Sir Impey. Now, quiet, everyone, while I pour the 47. Not a bad colour. Not bad at all. Historic moment, Merbles. There. Oh, dear. Too late was the cry. I fear so. Dead. Quite dead. It is like the taste of a passion that has passed its noon and turned to weariness. How very melancholy. Which reminds me. Goyles. Well, haven't you told me everything? Fact is, he's lost a lot by not being the murderer. Might have got a fine figure as a midnight assassin. But things being as they are, we must make the most of him as a witness. I'm sorry, Mary. Oh, don't mind me. I think you've worked it all out very well indeed. Our progress so far has been somewhat negative. Still, what we want to get at is the truth. Do you? I don't. I don't care tuppence about the truth. I want a case. I don't care who killed Cathcart, provided I can prove it wasn't Denver. I've always said that the professional advocate was the most immoral fellow on the face of the earth. And now I know for certain. Well, there's one thing to be grateful for. You, Lady Mary, were too unwell to go before the grand jury last Thursday. I wish I could escape the ordeal of giving evidence before the Lords. I can understand that. But the prosecution will be building their case on a shot fired at 3 a.m. Don't answer their questions, if you can help it, and we'll spring it on them. I suppose Denver still refuses to explain his movements? Categorically. The Whimsies are a determined family. Uh, what is your next move, Peter? Well, I have three lines to go on. First, try to establish Jerry's alibi from external sources. Second, get more information about Cathcart's past history. Thirdly... Thirdly? Find the real murderer. Any ideas where to look? Oh, certainly. And a very good idea it is, too. Where, Peter? 
Grider's Hole. That's the place where the farmer lives who, who set the dogs on you. With the remarkable-looking wife. He is jealous and bloodthirsty. And Cathcart, well, may have wandered over to Grider's Hole any day. Are you suggesting that at the very time Mr. Cathcart was betrothed to your sister, he was carrying on a disgraceful intrigue with a married woman very much his social inferior? I'm sorry, Mary. It's all right. As a matter of fact, it wouldn't surprise me, frankly. Dennis had rather continental ideas about marriage. I don't think he'd have thought that mattered very much. He'd probably have said there was a time and a place for everything. One of those watertight compartment minds, eh? But didn't you say this farmer had an alibi? Yes, but we didn't really test it. Well, here's to crime. Oh, Peter, I hate you. In that episode of Clouds of Witness, the parts were played as follows. Lord Peter Whimsey, Ian Carmichael, Bunter, Peter Jones, the Dowager Duchess of Denver, Patricia Routledge, Inspector Parker, Gabriel Wolfe, Lady Mary Whimsey, Mariah Aitken, Murples, Malcolm Hayes, Goyles, Clifford Norgate, Sir Impey Biggs, Brian Olton. The Morning After was adapted by Peter Jones and Tanya Leaven from the book Clouds of Witness by Dorothy L. Sayers. The programme was produced by Simon Brett. Mystery Radio presentation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to like and rate this podcast on your favorite app. Also, there's a Nostalgic Mystery Radio YouTube page for your perusal to subscribe to. You can contact me by emailing me at nostalgicmysteryradio at gmail.com. I hope you have a blessed day or evening. And again, thank you for listening. <laughs>